So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Job. The book of Job, chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, is where we're going to be. And then if you want to hold your spot there, also look up Job 38, or just keep in mind that we'll be there here in just a little bit. And it is a good, great honor to be able to preach the Word of God. You know, there's something about standing behind the holy desk and the sacred desk and trying to preach the Word of God. You know, we, we were in prayer room, and one of the men said, hey, it's not about us. It's all about the Word of God. It's all about lifting up the Savior, and that's what preaching is supposed to do, and I hope we'll do that tonight. And Job chapter 1 and verse number 6 through 8 is where we're going to read. The Bible says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them, and the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in, in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And this is really kind of uh, part two of a message that I preached way back in January, and I don't expect you to remember what was preached, but basically we brought a message on a Sunday morning about defeating evil, and we talked about Job and how he was a perfect man. He was complete in his integrity. Then we talked about Job, how he was an upright man. He had a backbone. He had some convictions about him. Then we talked about Job and how he feared God. He eschewed evil. He, he ran the other direction. When evil came his way, he ran the other direction. He was a very wealthy man. Some believe he was the wealthiest of his day. And But what happened here in Job 1 was Satan came and he attacked Job. He assaulted him on many fronts. If you'll remember, we talked about the four servants that came to Job. First off, one of the ser servants came to Job. He came rushing in, and he came to Job, and he said, Job, he said, the Sabians have attacked you. A thousand oxen and 500 donkeys have been taken. Many servants will, were slain. And so we said that back then, about 33% about of his 401k was gone just like that. Then servant number two comes in. He says, Job, you won't believe this. 7,000 sheep and more of your servants have perished in a fire. Job's portfolio is down now 66%. Can you imagine? I mean, he just woke up that morning. Everything was going good. And by about 11 o'clock that morning, his portfolio is down 66%. Then servant number three came in and he said, the Chaldeans, uh, he came in and said, hey, Job, the Chaldeans have attacked. More servants have been killed. 300 camels have been taken. You, you, you hear about somebody going from rags to riches. Well, this guy, he went from riches to rags. And just like that, in just a few hours, his world fell apart. So that was three different servants that came to him. But then servant number four came, and you'll find this throughout the book of Job, and we're going to just kind of give you a summary of the book of Job, but servant number four came to Job, and I think he would have gladly taken the first three servants' reports had he not had to come and hear this fourth report. All of a sudden, maybe it's about noontime or so, and that servant comes in, and he said, Job, you're not going to believe this. The family maybe had gathered for a cookout, or maybe they were there for a barbecue or something, and they were just having a good time, and they said, hey, Job, a great wind came, and we know you weren't there, but a, the building was knocked down. Ten of your children died, seven sons and three daughters. You know, the devil was assaulting Job. The devil was taking everything he could to attack Job. The devil assaulted him. The devil attacked him. The Job lost his wealth. 
Job lost his riches. Now Job lost everything. He's lost his own family. Can you imagine the depth of despair that he was in? And yet, look what it says. Look over at Job 1 and verse number 22. It says, in all this, what did Job do? How did he react? I mean, he was going toe-to-toe with the devil himself. And yet he says, in all this, Job sinned not nor charge God foolishly. Boy, I want that to be my testimony. When the devil attacks and comes my way and maybe I get a report, I want it to be said, hey, Mark Leone, he he sinned not, nor he charged God foolishly. You know, as we think about our Christian life, there's so many things that can get between myself and the Lord himself. But one of these things is the topic of bitterness. So Job, all of a sudden, he's lost his family. Now now Satan comes back and says, hey, let me get to Job's health. And so what does Satan do? He attacks him, and all of a sudden, Job starts getting boils all over his body. And I don't know the, I don't know the extent of these boils, but the Bible says they were all over him. And I know a few times I've gotten mosquito bites before, and maybe I, those things itch like crazy, and I just try to scratch them. And then, you know, you, you, you get it where it's maybe bleeding a little bit. Maybe, and they say that Job took pottery. He took broken pieces, and he just tried to get some relief, and he just tried to scrape himself and get some relief from all that. But then here's what happens. Then Satan also goes to his wife and gets his wife discouraged. And just as a side note, ladies, please realize the power and the influence that you have in your home. You are the spirit of your home. But Job is knocked down, but he's not knocked out. out. Job 2 in verse number 10, it says this. Then, but he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish men. So his wife goes to Job and says, hey, Job, just curse God and die. Just be done with this business of serving the Lord. And he says unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And there again, there's that phrase, in all this did not Job sin with his lips. There again, God's, Job said, hey, I know I've lost, I've lost all that I have. I've lost my family. I've lost my health. Now my wife is discouraged. Now my wife is trying to take me down and discourage me. But you know what Job says? Hey, I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to charge God foolishly. Can you imagine about that time in heaven erupts with a glorious cry? Job goes toe-to-toe with the devil himself and beats him and defeats him. Maybe about that time there was a glorious cry in heaven. Maybe all of a sudden there was some shouting and rejoicing and the, the angels looked down and said, hey, do you see Job? He, he, he's not going to charge God foolishly. He's not going to sin. And the devil says, I gave it my best shot. And here's what's interesting about the book of Job. The next uh, chapters, chapters number three, all the way through 42, you don't see Satan uh, mentioned one more time in the whole book, just in the first two chapters. But here's, here's something interesting. Job fought the devil himself, and really he won. The devil gave him a run for his money. He was a bloody man. He was a beaten man. He was a broken man, but he went toe-to-toe with Job, and he lost. But there's still the rest of the book of Job. The very same man that beat the devil, he has one more battle he has to fight. And this is where... Part number two comes in of the message. That second part, he had a battle. He went toe to toe with Satan, but he lost the battle with self. I want to bring a message tonight entitled The Battle Within. The Battle Within. You know, 
it's one of those things to go through some tough times. It's another thing to keep living, th living for God well beyond the tough times. You know, maybe sometimes you'll get a report from a doctor and they'll call you up and they say you've got that dreaded C word. Or maybe you'll get a call and a loved one has passed away and you're grieved and for the next few weeks you see the importance of church and you're, you're there and you know the importance of reading your Bible and praying, but then time has a way of taking its toll. And you know what? If we're not careful, there can be something between myself and the Lord. There can be something between you and the Lord. It can be this topic of bitterness. Bitterness. What are you going to do when you get those bad reports? Look at Job 7 and verse number 11. It says, therefore, this is the same man, Job. I mean, the one who defeated Satan himself. He says in Job 7, therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. This is the same man that just beat the devil. Look at Job 10 and verse number one. It says, my soul is weary of my life. I believe time began to take its toll on Job. He says, I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Look at Job 23 and verse number 22. It says, even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Nine different times, if you study it out, Job simply wanted to die. Have you ever been there? Bitterness. It's one of those sins that, who does, that we don't really understand how truly evil it is. You know, if we were to talk about the sins that destroy churches. I'm sure we, one would come up, we would say something about maybe a moral failure of a, a leader in the church or a moral failure of a deacon or a moral failure of a pastor. And those are the stories that the news just absolutely loves. But you know what? If you were to look over the vast, our nation and our country, that's not the predominant sin that can destroy a church. Maybe there might be money scandals of embezzlement or we think, and we tend to think these things happen all the time and they're so very rare. But, but, I wonder how many churches have been destroyed. I wonder how many families have been destroyed. I wonder how many marriages have been destroyed. I wonder how many uh, Christian brothers and sisters have been destroyed by this thing called bitterness. I wish there was a way to calculate the number of times that maybe bitterness has crept in and, and left just a giant wave or a giant tsunami of destruction just because that thing within, that battle within called bitterness. It, it, it can be destroyed. Our life can be destroyed because of bitterness. Maybe there's a husband that gets bitter with his wife. Maybe there's a wife that gets bitter with her husband. Maybe there's a church member that gets bitter with another Christian brother or sister. Maybe there's a teenager that's get, that gets bitter with their mom or dad over a decision that they make. Maybe there's a church member that gets bitter with a pastor or a youth pastor or an administrator and you just get bitter. Maybe there's a parent or a grandparent who gets bitter with their own child because of decisions they make. You know, sometimes this bitterness doesn't just go on for a week. It, maybe it doesn't just go on for a couple days, but it lingers for months. And months turns into years, and years turns into a decade. Look what it says in Hebrews 12 and verse number 15. The Bible says so much about bitterness. Look what it says here. Look dil looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. 
there's a root. Bitterness is a root. It's down deep in your soul, and sometimes it can just come up and explode, and all of a sudden there's an outburst, and all of a sudden we go, whoa, we didn't know that was there, and all of a sudden bitterness has now crept up, and now it, it has shown its ugly face. Not only does it trouble you, the Bible says, but it says that many be defiled. Bitterness is a root. You don't see it. It's in the ground. We can tote a big Bible to church and maybe make all look well. We can wear a fancy suit. We can get up and sing, oh, how I love Jesus. We can walk around and say, God bless you, preacher. We can put money in the offering plate or we can give to missions or we can teach a class or we can work on a bus or we can sing in the choir or we can preach a message. But all the time we have bitterness just welling up in our soul. It's just kind of laying dormant and sometimes it just erupts. Look what it says in Acts 8 and verse number 23. It says, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now, I'm not super clear what the, the word gall means, but they say that it, it is, they think, to the best of their knowledge, that it means something about being poisonous. Like, it's kind of like the poison of bitterness. What a picture is being painted about bitterness. It's the poison of bitterness. Bitterness is the poison of of the soul. It will rot somebody from the inside out. Every marriage that has been messed up by immorality, I wonder how many more marriages have been messed up by bitterness. I wonder how many more homes have been messed up by bitterness. Maybe you were to take a Christian home and maybe we can go into your home or maybe some other folks' home and there's no cussing there. There's no maybe throwing of dishes. There's no screaming, but maybe the husband comes home and the couple has, they have to eat, so they sit down together at the same table. There's no sounds except just the clanging of the silverware. There's no discourse. There's no chatter. The husband retreats to his TV and sits and watches TV at the end of the evening. The wife retreats to her room and gets on social media, and they're just living two separate lives. The bitterness is so real. They are just occupying the same house. There's no real relationship, no sharing of thoughts, dreams, or goals. How many homes have lost the power of God due to bitterness? May we get rid of that bitterness in our life. May there nothing, be nothing between my soul and the Savior. Bitterness is a real thing. Maybe there's a choir member that won't talk to a Christian brother in section two. Maybe we, we preach about revival in our church and there's a sister in section one that won't talk to a sister in section two. You say, Brother Mark, do you know some instances? I know of nothing, but I just know how us people can be. If we're not careful, somebody will do us wrong or we think somebody did us wrong and we don't want to forgive and we think I'm just going to hold a grudge and I'm not going to shake their hand or I'm not going to do this for them or do that form. Why? Because we let bitterness creep in. We can sing the song, revive us again, but that hypocrisy makes God sick. He doesn't want that bitterness in our heart. God won't bless until we get right with each other. Maybe, I don't know, preacher talked about folks not being saved in here. Maybe, maybe it's because there's bitterness. Maybe, maybe I don't know, but who knows what it is. But boy, I want revival. I want folks to be saved. I love seeing this morning people across the altar and praying and asking God for help. We need more of that in this church. We need more of that in our nation. We need more of that in our homes. We need more of that in this world. Look what it says in 1 John 4 and verse number 20. It says, if a man say, I love God, you stand up and sing, oh, how I love Jesus, and hateth his brother, 
Not my words, but the word of God. What does it say? He is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? If I don't love Brother Brian like I should, or if I don't love Brother Zach like I should, I better love my preacher because he's my boss. But if I don't love my brothers like I should, Bible says, hey, you're a liar. That's who you can see. And by the way, I do love my preacher. Just a side note, I was thinking about this earlier. Our job, I love what, I love what he said this morning just about, about preaching. You know what our job is? You know what my job as an assistant is? is just to help the man of God. You know what these men up here's job is? Just to help the man of God. That was just a side note anyway. But the Bible says he is a liar. Boy, you know, we might look, the, look like the finest Christian at, at Woodland. You, maybe you have a relative that you haven't spoken to in years. You have all the reasons justified in your mind why you don't speak to them. Maybe that bitterness and that anger just rots away from the inside out. You say, well, you don't know what they did to me. Let me ask you a question. Are we forgetful of what we've done to the Holy Savior? The fact that we are sinners saved by grace? We are to forgive as we have been forgiven. You know, seems like every neighborhood has one of these. I can think back to when I was a child. But there's that one elderly man or that one elderly person. They're mean as as the devil. They're mean as a snake. You don't dare step on their property. And you do not dare let a basketball roll onto their property. Because you know you are going to get a talking to. We had one of those across the street from us. She'd stand out. We had a one-story house. And across the street, they had a two-story house. So, I mean, and she lived upstairs. So she had the perfect view right down into our front yard. I mean, everything we did, we'd hear the window open up and she'd holler something out and boy every neighborhood has one you know they're bitter maybe they're mean they're angry they've been that way for 75 years you can you do all you can to avoid them they have a scowl on their face you know what's scary now though you see that same face on some teenagers teenagers can get bitter with their mom They can get bitter with their dad. They cry out, why do I have to live in this family? Or why do I have to be in at 9.30? Or why why can't I do this or do that? Let me ask you, are you bitter today? You know, amazing thing, Job fought the devil himself and beat him. But he lost the battle with self, that battle within. What an incredible story. The The rest of the book of Job tells about a man that got bitter. He got, he got bitter against God. And we can get bitter against God, but we can also get bitter against each other. I want to look at two quick things tonight. How does a man with such a great testimony, I mean, chapters 1 and 2, he defeats the devil himself. But how does he go from in that situation to, to, to being defeated by bitterness? How does he do that? Number one, Job asked why. He questioned God. There's the unanswered question of why. Look what the Bible says in Job 3 and verse number 20. It says, Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery, and life unto the bitter in soul? Verse number 21, which long for death, but it cometh not. Job said, hey, I just want to die. I don't even want to live anymore. I'm so bitter. And dig for it more more than for hid treasures. Verse number 22, which rejoice exceedingly and are glad when when they can find the grave. Job says, I just want to go to the grave. 
Look what it says in uh, verse number 23. Why is light given to a man whose way is hid and whom God hath hedged in? Then look at Job 7 and verse number 20 and verse 21. It says, I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee so that am I, I am a burden to myself? Job's saying, hey God, why? Why? He's, he's bitter. He's asking why. He's not asking just to, to learn a little bit about it. He's, he's bitter. I don't believe it's totally wrong to ask God why, but there's a real problem maybe when you lose your job or maybe when you're facing a medical issue or financial hardship and you're, you're asking God like he owes you an explanation. May I kindly say tonight, God doesn't owe us an explanation. He's our Savior. He bought us with his precious blood. Look what it says in Romans 9 and verse number 20. It says, Nay, but O man. Here's what Paul says. He says, Who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it? Why hast thou made me thus? Then it says, Hath not the potter over the clay? God's saying, Hey, I'm the potter. You're the clay. I'll do with you as I will. And you know what? We, he's, 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 he's able to do that. And he can do that. He has every right to do what he will. We may not understand it. We may not ever figure it out. But he's the potter. We are the clay. Of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. You know, we've been conditioned by our gospel singers. You know, there has to be an answer to the question why. We sing that song, and it's a good song. We will understand it better by and by. But are we really sure about that? Is that really theologically correct? Is there Bible for that? Read all the book of Job. God never explained to Job why all that happened. You know, we, te we tend to think that God owes us an explanation. Do you really think that there will be that the pressing issue in heaven? You know, let's say I live to the ripe age of, not ripe, but maybe the age of 70 and I pass away. Do you think when I get to heaven and I see the nail prints in Jesus' hands, I see the nail prints in his feet, maybe I see the scars on his side, do you think I'm really going to be concerned with why that accident happened, an accident happened in 2018? Do you think I'm really going to be concerned about maybe why this happened or why that happened or why this incident happened? Hey, we're going to have our crowns and we can just lay them at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to be glad just to be in heaven. I think it's not going to matter when we get to heaven why God had us go through a certain trial and tribulation. I'm not trying to minimize those, but over yonder, it won't matter. It won't matter. There's Jesus in all his glory. Will it really matter? It probably won't matter. It probably won't be a concern. The problem for us down here is we ask why. If we're not careful, we look past the verses that say, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And we look past the verse in Proverbs 3 that says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. We might say, oh, yeah, I trust in the Lord. But then we go over to the side and we say, God, why? Why did you allow this? And we begin to get bitter. So there's the unanswered question of why, but there's also another reason. Why do people get bitter? They're, they surround themselves with miserable comforters who mock on. So you have these four friends of Job, and they all come along. And basically what they try to do is they try to discourage Job even more. You have Eliphaz, and you have Bildad, and you have Zophar, and you have Elihu, and throughout the middle part of Job, they come along, and they just basically try to discourage him, and it all starts out. Job's, he's all beat up on the outside with boils, but inside, he's full of sorrow. He's full of anguish. He's full of bitterness, 
and he sees these guys coming out. Now, you have to understand something about Bible custom. In Bible custom, if I was going to, let's say I was going to go to Brother Zach's house, and I went to his house, I would stand before the gate, and I, would not, I am not supposed to say a single word to him until Zach, who is the, would be the host, would let me in. So what these four guys do is they come to Zach's, or, or they come to Job's house, and they sit there at the gate, and they're not saying a word. Day one passes by, Job never acknowledged him. I think Job probably knew what they were up to, didn't acknowledge him. Day number two comes along, Job didn't acknowledge him. Day three, day four, day five, day six. Then finally, on day number seven, these, all four of these supposed friends start talking to Job, and they just basically say, hey, quit serving God. You know, God hasn't done you right, and they're just there, and they're causing trouble. You know what? Finally, Job turns to him. So they kind of broke the Bible custom. They went, a whole, they went ahead and told Job what they thought the problem was. In Job 12, they said, hey, Job, God is just judging you because you're a great hypocrite. You know, you, you proclaim to love God, but you don't really. You're just a hypocrite. Job 22, they come to Job and they say, hey, your wickedness is great, Job. What, what good friends they are. All they did was make the matter worse. Two different times, Job interrupts them. And look what Job says. I like these verses. Job 16 and verse number 2, he says, I have heard many such things. He's saying, I'm hearing what you're saying. He says, miserable comforters are ye all. Then Job 21 and verse 3, he says, suffer me that I may speak and that after I have spoken, what does he say? Mock on. He says, hey, you're a miserable comforter. Go ahead, mock on. They were miserable comforters who mocked on. Why does a person get bitter? Number one, because there's the unanswered question why. And then number two, they surround themselves with miserable comforters who mock on. Maybe you're a lady here tonight. You attend Woodland Baptist Church. You're not, maybe you're not married to Mr. Perfect, but you have a good husband. Maybe you have one that he goes to work. He wakes up every morning. He goes and works. He works hard. He's honest. He tries to do right. He loves you. He loves your kids. You go to your job on Monday morning, and maybe lunchtime comes around, and you sit around a table of other ladies, and you're sitting there, and maybe you sit down, and you begin to, you, to listen to the other ladies' conversation. All of a sudden, the conversation turns to a roast session, and they begin to talk about their husbands, and what an idiot this husband is, and well, this husband doesn't know how to do this, and he's, he's more trouble than he's worth, and they just go on and on, and you're there, and you're at Woodland. You heard good, good preaching Sunday morning. You think, boy, I need to love my husband. All of a sudden, you begin to hear all this, and you know what happens? If you're not careful, after a few days, those, those miserable comforters who mock on, that, get those seed, that seed gets planted in your heart, and you begin thinking about your husband, and you begin thinking about the little speck maybe of fault that he has, or maybe vice versa. Maybe you're a husband, and you're at work, and you begin thinking about maybe, maybe the, the tone of voice from your wife that came to you, or, or maybe, maybe she, she didn't feel well, or maybe she just was tired, and maybe she said something in anger, and you begin to get a little worked up about it, and those miserable comforters are beginning to influence you. You know what we tend to do in our marriages? I like this illustration I heard years ago. You take a white t-shirt, and if you, that, that, that pure white t-shirt, you put one little drop of ketchup on it, and now there's one little speck of red. What do we pay attention to? If somebody's walking down the street and they've got that white t-shirt on, we all look at that one little speck. And you know what? If we're not careful in our marriages, 
we pay attention to the one little speck. We don't pay attention to the 99% good that our spouse is or the 99% good that our, that our children are or, or we don't pay attention to the 99% uh, good that our church is. You know why? Because we're all humans. But if we're not careful, we get surrounded by miserable comforters who mock on. And all of a sudden, that gets in our heart. And all of a sudden, that wife now becomes bitter towards her husband. All of a sudden, that husband becomes bitter towards his wife. Maybe there's a teenager who's grown up in church in a Christian school, and uh, they're a good kid. They don't, got a, they don't have a bolt through their nose, or there's no ear gauges, or there's, no, there, there's respect there for the parents. But all of a sudden, at a study hall, one teenager starts speaking to another teenager and they say, boy, your parents are so strict or they're so protective. You know, this can happen at a public school. This can happen at a Christian school. This can happen at a, uh, at a, a private school, whatever. Uh, but you, you begin to think, my parents this or my parents that or why do I have to do this or why do I have to do that? Teenagers, I would encourage you, look down the road and see a parent maybe who, who doesn't invest in their children and doesn't maybe uh, have godly rules for them and all of a sudden that teenager grows up because they had no restraint they had no protection and they grow up and they're in and out of jail and they're in and out of trouble and they're just grievous to their mom or dad you know if you could see the end result of sin you know what I believe you do you'd fall on your face and thank God and say Lord thank you for my parents thank you for my mom and dad who tries to steer me in the direction to love God you would shine your shoes with your tears if you knew how how privileged you were God's been good. God's given us a, a good pastor. God's given us a good church. God's given us good a good, maybe you're a teenager and God's given you some good parents, but you get around with one or two with a chip on your shoulder and you surround yourselves with miserable comforters who mock on. You know, eventually that bitterness, it's going to explode. The roots are going to show itself. Look what he says, Job chapter 16 and verse number seven. He says, but now he hath made me weary Thou hast made desolate all my company, and thou hast filled me. Here, Job's, Job's going after God and said, You filled me with wrinkles, which is a witness against me, and my leanness rising up in, the, in, in me beareth witness to my face. He teareth me in his wrath, who hateth me. He gnasheth upon me with his teeth. Mine enemy sharpeneth his eyes upon me. He blames God. This is the same Job who had said in Job 1, he was a perfect, he was upright, he feared God, he eschewed evil. You wouldn't think Job was capable of this. But the same man who knocked the devil out, he erupts like a volcano with the bitterness. He shakes his fist up at a holy God. He's blaming God. Job 19, he says, God will not hear me. And on and on he goes. If you study out the book of Job, there's 35 different false charges Job brings to God. And, and, and I need to hurry, but they're sins of drugs. They're sins of alcohol. And you know, those are, those are most, for the most part, those are harder to hide. But you know what? Uh, those of you that are faithful to church, we know how to hide bitterness. You know, few people know about it until someone explodes and blames God. But you know what? That, dip, that bitterness began to destroy Job. Look what it says in Job 42 in verse number 10, the first part. It says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job. You know what that tells me? Job was captive. He was captive to bitterness. He was shackled 
by his sin. You know, we think only bondage comes to those with maybe an alcohol issue or a drug issue or an immorality issue, but that same bondage can, can apply to somebody in bitterness. I, I wonder if we were to rip away the fancy suit or the pretty dress or the glowing smile at church or the happy voice, if we pulled away the scab, are we being held by the captive, captivity of bitterness? You say, you don't know what they did to me. Have we forgotten what we did to Jesus, like I said earlier? You can't get right with God until you first get right with each other. Notice the Lord turned the captivity of Job. You know, God can set a drunkard free. He can set a drug addict person free. He can set a bitter soul free. Get the picture. Job charges God 35 times. Job sees God all of a sudden for who he is. I said hold your spot in Job 1 and look over at Job chapter number 38. I'm going to quickly hasten. We need to get going. Job 38, it says in verse number 3, it says, Gird up now thy loins like a man. Here's, here's the Lord speaking to Job, by the way. This is what this chapter is. God begins to call him on the carpet. You know, sometimes we need to get called on the carpet. Sometimes God will use a preacher to call us on the carpet. Sometimes God will use a family issue to call us on the carpet. Sometimes God will use a friend to call us on the carpet. Here, God speaks directly to Job. He says, Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Hey, God's saying, hey, Job, where were you when I created the earth? I think he's giving him a little bit of humble medicine right there and say, hey, who are you? Where were you? God, God's reminding Job, hey, I'm the Almighty. I'm the Great One. Then look at verse number 18. He says, hast thou perceived the breath of the earth? Declare if thou knowest it all. Then verse number 19, where is the way where light dwelleth? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? The next several chapters are such powerful chapters. God calls him on the carpet. He gives him some tough love. Job, uh, God comes to Job and he says, hey, I want, you to, I want you to be reminded of a few things. I want you to be reminded that I'm the God of creation. He says, I'm the, the God of the seas. I'm the God of time. I'm the God of the unknown. I'm the God of the storm. I'm the God of the skies. I'm the God of the clouds. Sometimes we need reminding. That's why preacher preaches. That's why the kitchen is hot, if I can use the phrase, because sometimes we have to be reminded. Look what it says in Job 42 and verse number 6. It says, wherefore I abhor myself. When God came to Job, how did Job respond? He said, hey, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. What does the word abhor means? It means to hate extremely, not just hate, but to extremely hate. You know, when we see God for who God is, it should cause us to be humbled. Do you hate what bitterness has done to you? You say, Brother Mark, I have no bitterness in my soul. Well, just tuck this message away, maybe for the future. But maybe I'm speaking to somebody, you're battling bitterness with something. Maybe somebody has done you wrong. Maybe a spouse, maybe a child, maybe a grandchild, maybe somebody that you love, maybe somebody on the job, maybe a neighbor, maybe a friend. Do you hate what bitterness has done to you? Do you hate what it's done to your marriage? Do you hate what it's done to your family? The Bible says, love, the, the Bible says to husbands, love your wives. And what's the next word? It said, be not bitter against them. Are you bitter against your wife? 
Are you bitter against your mom? Are you bitter against your dad? Are you bitter against your husband? Are you bitter against another Christian? Are you bitter against your pastor? Are you bitter against your brother, your sister? Do you abhor or do you hate having the poison of bitterness in your soul? What did he do? He abhors himself. Then he repents. Is that enough? The Lord doesn't turn the captivity of Job until verse number 10. What happened? Look, first off, he hated what he became. He had abhorred himself. Then he repented and called it sin. But look, that, that wasn't enough. Look what he did in Job 42 and verse number 10, that latter part of the verse. It says, uh, 42, verse number 10. Anyway, it says, it says where he, re, he, re, he repented when he prayed for his friends. God turned that captivity when he prayed for his friends. Is there somebody in this church that you say, Brother Mark, I cannot pray for them. You're in bitterness. And God's not going to hear those prayers if you don't make that right, where you can't pray for another brother or another sister. If God could do it back then, he can do it again. He can do it in your life. He can do it in our church. I know of nothing, but I wonder if maybe during our Easter drama last Saturday night, maybe somebody had an idea and it was shot down by another brother or sister in Christ, and you just you want to hold a grudge. That's just it, for instance. I'm just pulling that out of the air. But there's nothing too hard for God. There are advantages of letting go of bitterness. This was so true in Job's life. But look, I, I Googled it a couple weeks ago. There are even advantages, medical advantages that the world says happens when you let go of a grudge. It says, I looked up in the Mayo Clinic in, in Minnesota, says, what are the effects of holding a grudge? You bring anger and bitterness into every relationship, and it goes on and lists all these different uh, advantages to letting go of bitterness. You know, but let's look at God's word. There's only one thing that's left in the book of Job after Job makes it right. So Job defeated the devil. He's got his friends that come along and they mock him and they, they, they don't comfort him and he makes it right. But here's the end of Job. The book of Job ends so, so nicely. You know what? I want God's blessing poured out on my life. I don't want bitterness to stop it. I want to make it right. Job 42 and verse number 12, it says, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep before he had 7,000. God doubled it. And then, and then it says, and 6,000 camels. Back then he had 3,000. Now God's doubled it. Then, and 1,000 yoke of oxen. Back then he had 500. And it says, and 1,000 she-asses. And it goes on and talks about how he had seven, more uh, seven plus three, ten more children. You say, well, how's that doubling? Well, his children probably were saved. And they're up in heaven. And he gained ten more. It sounds like God doubled that. He now has 20 Ten up in heaven, ten being born. And I want to close with this illustration. There was two brothers who got in a bad, bad fight one time. You know how brothers do. I mean, they, they duke it out sometimes, an older brother, a younger brother, sometimes even a, a brother and a sister. But the older brother, I mean, he just beat his brother to a pulp. His younger brother gets a black eye, and he's all bruised up. He's got bruises. And, and the biggest thing that was hurt in this little boy's life really was his pride. He was so mad at his brother, and his mom happened to catch wind of what happened. And so his mother came to the two sons and says, Hey, hey, sons, you know, I, I know what you did. You fought. You, you did wrong. But we need to make it right. And the mom began to tell the boys how we should, they should forgive each other. And the mom, you know, being the, the good, godly mom, began to quote the famous verse, Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. 
And so the little boy began to think about it. He began to ponder. And his, the mom was thinking, well, maybe, I, maybe I'm getting through to this little fella. And here's what the little boy looked up at his mom and said. said, Mom, how do I keep the sun from going down? And you know what I think some of us are doing in our life? Instead of just forgiving, we're thinking to ourselves, how do I stop the sun from going down? I don't want to forgive. I'm just going to hold that bitterness down in my soul. I'm going to allow that poison to just destroy me from within. God wants us to get down on our knees and call it what it is. You know, is it worth losing your marriage over? Is it worth losing your family over? Is it worth losing your church over? Is it really worth carrying that poison down in your soul and it eating you away? I believe God is speaking to some people tonight. Maybe not the whole crowd, maybe just a few. But why not deal with it tonight while God is dealing with you? If not here, when are you going to deal with it? How much longer do you play this bitterness game? There's nothing sweeter than seeing an older dear saint of God who maybe has gone through some trials and gone through some troubles, but yet they still have joy. Tonight, let me ask you, will you get bitter or will you get better Two verses, and then we'll close. Ephesians 4.32, and the Bible says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And then Colossians 3 and verse 13, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Job won the battle.